We're starting a brand new series today called Welcome to the Neighborhood. And where we are sitting today, I honestly, I'm really glad we are. But I really wish we weren't. Does that make sense at all? Yes. So uh, this is uh, Ben Baisa. He is with the Ethiopian Church that meets right here at our facility, and he is one of their leaders. Are you called the president? Um, chairman of the board, or yeah, the elders. Yeah. But I heard president. I've heard some of them call you the president. I, so our leaders are here. I'd, I'd love for you guys to start referring to me as president. <laughs> president-elect. Yeah. Uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna hear from Ben tonight. Ben and I have become uh, friends, and and they worship here, and and they actually worship in Amharic because he's from Ethiopia, and the, their congregation is from Ethiopia, but they all live here in the states now. And then this is uh, Joseph Bias, and Joseph has a very fascinating story. So Joseph and I actually have just recently become acquainted. I called him on the phone after, let me back up here and say this. So Sarah Foster, you, uh, she's here tonight and she sang earlier and she said, Hey Brad, during all that's been happening the past few weeks, she said, I've got somebody you need to talk to. And she, she told me your story and we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. Uh, and it's, it's just fascinating. Um, your journey and, and I believe the voice that you bring to the table so it's an honor to have both of you you with us. I, I, I've got to uh, be honest, our, our leaders are here and this whole this whole conversation tonight, uh, obviously we're just not expecting that we would be here, but yet we are we are here. And I'm, I'm glad we're here. And I have wrestled with this ever, ever since um, the George horrific murder and injustice against George Floyd. I mean, anybody that is human, and has any kind of heartbeat, was just repulsed by that. And it was a real tipping point in our nation that has begun this conversation. And I've reached out to a lot of, um, some of my black friends and and black pastors and black leaders, and I've even been talking to white pastors and I've been talking to white leaders. And wow, is this ever a polarizing conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, To be very frank and honest, some of my uh, black pastor friends and and friend and just friends in general said they they would talk with me and we had conversations. They just said, you know, I don't know that I'm yet ready to sit in front of a camera and talk to people. Uh, I would talk to some of my uh, the leaders in our church and, and other churches, white pastors, and 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 just thinking, man, what if I say the wrong thing? What if it? But I think what we've got to do is take a risk. You know, we got to take a chance yes. and we got to work towards this idea uh, of, of unity, because if we are the children of God, now is not the time. Now is not the time to be silent. Yes. So um, a little bit of a kind of a um, outline for us that I that we'll kind of use a little bit today. We'll see where this goes. This is a conversation. So that's what I want us to have. And I want, I'm here, the title of my message is Listen, Learn, Love. Listen. So for me, as, as a white man raised in a white home in a predominantly all-white neighborhood. Now, I mean, growing up, one of my best friends, our families were super close with a, a black family. My best friend, was, his name was Kelly, and we ran around all the time together. I knew nothing of racism. I was 10 years old. 
Um, and I've heard you talk about that too, Joseph, as a young boy, not even really realizing, oh wait, people don't get along. <laughs> and then later in life, realizing the struggles that his family has had and, and what that's been like. But I, what I'd like for us to do, we're gonna use the uh, story of the Good Samaritan, uh, pull some things from that story. What's interesting is when I was thinking about this series and I thought about this series and having this for about three or four weeks now, um, even bef but way before George Floyd and what happened there, and I thought, well, let's preach on the, the Good Samaritan. And I had a whole different idea about the Good Samaritan. And then and it was actually going to be the last message in the series. So we moved it to the front end. And, and there's so much in that story that I think really parallels what we're dealing with now. So let's pray together because we need God to help us yes. in this conversation. Father, thank you for these men. I thank you for Ben. I thank you for Joseph. And I thank you for their willingness to share uh, with us, that we are here as leaders, we are here as just men and women of God uh, to, to listen. We are here to learn. <laughs> and I know all of us collectively, what we want to see is the love of God prevail through all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ben, I, I want to start uh, with you, and, and then just we're going to hear a little bit of your story, but I want to give, give us some background so people know who you are. Okay. You actually were not born in the, in the United States. You're from Ethiopia. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about your journey and what that's been like for you. Okay. Um, I came to the States uh, almost 37 years ago, 1983. Uh, I came here as a teenager going to, come to attend college. And um, uh, in terms of what we're talking about today, um, first of all, thank you for having us and having this discussion. Uh, really, um, while you were talking, the thought was coming to me. We're, we're not here, you know, you're white and we're black. We're not here pushing the white agenda or the black agenda mm -hmm. or any kind of agenda. I'm not here representing Ethiopians or Africans. I'm here representing mm -hmm. Christ because, because of him we are one. So that's, we're talking from that point of view. Oh, come on, somebody. So Say amen in the room. Come on, somebody in the room. That's good. So anyways, um, so coming over here, uh, I grew up in Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is the only country in Africa that's never been colonized. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we don't have that mentality of being oppressed mm -hmm. or being a, a second-class citizen. So when I came here, um, it was very easy for me to mingle with people to, to come into the society and uh, came with that mentality of, you know, I can succeed, I can achieve, uh, I can be what I want to be. Um, but at the same time, I was also uh, exposed to the, what's been happening here from learning in history books and hearing about it from movies and everything. Uh, I've been exposed to it and then also start gradually, personally starting experiencing subtle racism, you know, mm. whether at school uh, or uh, could be happening to me or could be happening to other people. Uh, you know, when I came, uh, like uh, the undergraduate school I went to, um, whenever people found out that uh, I'm from Ethiopia, you know, uh, because it's predominantly white, there, might, there were like, there were about 2,000 students from that, maybe the less than 10 black people. So they would be very excited when they find out that I'm from Ethiopia. They'll ask me, how, how is it there and all that. And then I would see another African-American that could be from Chicago. I would say, where are you from, Ch from Chicago? Oh, they don't go further to get to know. So there's this, mm. between the blacks and the whites, there's this wall of not, will, not willing to get to know each other further. And 
So that kind of struck me at the at, at the time. Uh, got married, and have kids, and my kids have also uh, being first, you know, being born here. They have gone through it. We raised them in a white neighborhood, um, but they actually my my oldest son he used to call himself an Oreo because he you know Oreo it's like. <laughs> Black on the outside, white inside. Oh, that he's the Oreo. Yeah, he called himself an Oreo <laughs> uh, because uh, he, you know, we we did raise them in a white neighborhood. Uh, they don't have quote unquote black accent, um, but uh, eventually, though, he kind of woke up to the fact of what's happening among black Americans that were born here, mm. uh, and you know, uh, so. If you ask him now, he's more of an advocate. He's more against racism. He has, I mean, our, his eyes has opened up more. Yeah. And the same thing for me, it's like uh, the more and more I see it, the more uh, uh, empathy and understanding uh, has developed in me uh, for people of color. Mm -hmm. And because I personally experienced it, my kids have experienced it, and I've seen it happen to others. So my journey began with someone that was so, uh, uh, not ignorant, but just had no knowledge and experience about racism. And I have seen some of it not as horrific and graphic as uh, we have seen in the news lately, but I have experienced it. And uh, uh, in the last few weeks, I've been meditating, thinking about what is really the solution? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how did we get here? How did it persist so long? Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess we'll talk about more, but that's well, and you, when you talk about that, you've experienced it yeah. uh, right before we, we started. You said your, your son even experienced it. Was it yesterday or, the, or this yeah, week? Yeah, yeah. My son, I just, um, you know, he just, uh, we were texting this afternoon, just like just an hour ago. I said, uh, uh, because I was hoping he would come and uh, uh, share his experience, but he had an, another appointment so he couldn't come. We said, uh, dad, I just had this experience yesterday. I was racially profiled by two different races. And then he said, uh, he went to the store, uh, I think, I believe it was Walmart. He went there and then he was just looking to buy a cologne. And then he said, uh, he waited for someone to come with the key. And the lady that came with the key, uh, she was a black lady. Mm -hmm. And she, um, she was not willing to give him the cologne right there. Mm -hmm. She wanted to meet her by the register. He said, just give it to me. I have more shopping. Yeah. Let me go and do it. She was not willing. <laughs> wow. And he said, like, how would she know what time I'm going to be at the, by the register? I'm going to yeah. have more shopping. So by the time he got to the cash register, he was approached by a white gentleman. And he said, I just saw you put something inside your pocket. <laughs> and, then, wow. and then he said, it's just my key. <laughs> so he said he was so upset. He did not even want to wait for the wow. lady. And he just left. So, you know, so I just told him, I said, son, I'm so sorry. You know, this racial profiling thing, it's not just a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's mm. a human thing. It's a human mm. problem. It's a human mm. issue. That's so we've been so uh, indoctrinated and ingrained with this mentality that if you're a certain skin or certain nationality, you're supposed to act and behave this mm. way. And people are supposed to be, uh, you know, yeah. treat you that way. So that's, that's also the, that has been the kind of... Uh, a vicious cycle you know you want to get you 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 don't it's been uh fed continuously you mm -hmm. know this negative thoughts about uh, you want to you want to say okay don't think that young when you see young 
black kids walking around in the store or anywhere else, they're up to something no good. And then you see black young kids doing something no good. And then that kind of forces the, 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 the deal. And then the same thing, but, but the same thing happens within the white community. Don't think all white people are racist and they're not. But and then you see some doing a, you know, racist yeah. act. So, uh, yeah, I think that's interesting because I, I, um, I appreciate you saying that because I, I, I joke a lot, but in, in some ways it's kind of serious. It's, it's so frustrating to be uh, a gray-haired white guy right now yeah. in the States uh, because immediately, um, and I play um, a lot of ball and I play a black man, I play a white man, but a lot of times they'll just look at me and they'll immediately think, oh, well, you obviously don't like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and then, I, and then I hate that I look this, not I don't hate that I look this way, but I'm frustrated because I'm like, why, why couldn't I be in my 20s right now uh, where you know, it'd be more favorable to me? But I, I, I just appreciate you sh- sharing that journey. Now, Joseph, let's talk about your journey. I don't have a story. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived a wonderful life. I've never been bothered by anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, Joseph, you got to tell, um, well, you, you share what you want to share. But what I think is so amazing is you got to tell us about your encounter with Martin Luther King Jr. You got to tell us okay. about, about that. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, let me echo something my brother, Baisa. Ben Baisa. Mm-hmm. Ben Baisa. We have closely the last name. We're related. Um, <laughs> we have mothers that we never knew. <laughs> no, you know, that's, this idea of uh, racial profiling is something that is common to almost every person of color. That's the term of art now that we use, black people, white people. Um, but you said something that I, I want to want to echo off of. You said that people should not have to prejudge somebody on the basis of the color of their skin. Don't assume that every young black kid mm-hmm. that shows up is up to something nefarious. Mm-hmm. But then some young black kid yeah. goes and does something, yeah. you know, nefarious, and it makes it difficult to know what you should do. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a very real, uh, re- real reality for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But it's on both sides. You know, there are black people who have a certain prejudgment about white people. Exactly. You know, uh, my good friend Phil in, in our interview the other day talked about uh, coming to the big white church downtown, mm-hmm. you know, here in Tulsa the first time. Uh, echoing also the idea that, as far as I'm concerned, I have one primary identity, and that is that I'm a Christian. I'm a son of the living God. Yes. Yeah. I'm a part of the body of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you are part of that same body, we are brothers. We are family. Mm-hmm. All family doesn't get along <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but we're still family. Right. And at some point, if we're going to do anything of value, we're going to have to come together. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to communicate. We're going to have to talk. We've got to get to know one another. Yeah. Okay. So let me... Talk about my uh, experience with Dr. King. You ask, you ask about that. Uh, I met him. I knew of him obviously for years before I met him. But uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, he came to Savannah, Georgia, which is where I grew up. Every year in Savannah on January third, they celebrate, or at least back then, the NAACP would celebrate the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. And uh, which was 1863, and there would be a, a big celebration, and uh, 
black folks from all over the community would come together for this. And Dr. King came that year as the main speaker for the event. After the event, uh, my parents were invited to a reception for him at the home of some mutual friends. And my mom, being the forward thinker that she was, told my dad, you know, take Harriet and Joseph with you. They'll get more out of this than me. She, she hated doing going to parties and that sort of thing, you know. He sent around to greet people. Just, it just wasn't her thing. But in this case, she really was sincerely wanting us to have the experience mm. of meeting him, you know. And uh, so the host said, oh, yeah, I'll let the kids come. We were the only kids there, you know. I was a senior in high school. My sister at the time was in her senior year in college. So we were, we were I was the youngest, but you know, she was a little bit more, uh, a little older. Anyway, he saw us there and took us into the kitchen and for the next hour or so, just spent time talking with us about the future, about the movement and what our role would be in it going forward. And he was the one who inspired me to go to Morehouse College, which I did go to and graduated from there, which was his alma mater. And I got to know him from time to time. He would come to the college and he would present programs and whatnot. And our glee club uh, would sing for the larger events, but sometimes there were smaller alumni events and that sort of thing. And the, the glee club quartet would sing for those events and I was a part of the quartet. So I got to be in on a lot more of those events with him. I got to hear him, I got to talk with him and whatnot. So when he was, when he was assassinated, um, his wife, Coretta Scott King, uh, asked if I would sing Bomb and Gilead at the funeral on the campus at Morehouse. Wow. And, uh, and we've and got I a did. picture of that. You sent yeah. me that picture. Yes. We've got yeah. a picture of it. Yeah. Much younger man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you tend to be that 50 years before. Yeah. That, but, what a moment for you yeah. Uh, yeah. in history, like stamped in history. Yeah. You yeah. sent me the pictures, other pictures. Uh, you were sitting right next near Rosa Parks. She was right in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just stunning to me that I, I think probably I should, I should mention that. Um, so I grew up not really knowing much about Martin Luther King Jr. Not that I didn't want to know, but the truth is it was like three days in ninth grade history class and it was taught by the football coach. And so he was, he, he didn't care about much of anything. So um, I didn't really know much, you know? And yeah. then as I got, I've gotten older, I'm like, I, I need to learn. I need to know, I need yeah. to understand. Yeah. And this last year, I finally said, you know what? I've learned a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. from others and from watching things. And I got his autobiography. I said, mm. I want to hear from him. Yeah. And, and reading his story and reading his journey. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot for just a second. Okay. It's okay if you don't remember. <laughs> but I want to see, when you were sitting at that table, do you remember anything that he said to you at that table that oh, yeah. stuck with you? Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that stuck with me, he, he said, your generation will have to carry on the movement. He said, I'm here mm. to get it started, but you're going to have to carry it on. And you're going to have to suffer some things. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. But remember, whatever you're doing, you're not doing for yourself, but you're doing for those who are going to be coming after you. Mm -hmm. You're going to be opening doors for the first time. And wow. Back in that day, almost everything that any black kid or adult did, a lot of stuff was the first, you know. Yeah. I was the first one, first male to go to college from anybody in my family wow. going back generations. I was the first one uh, to graduate college. Uh -huh. My sister was the first one in our whole family to graduate because she was four years older than me. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, but I was the first male, yeah. you know, to do that. And uh, I got to sing at the Atlanta Stadium, the brand new Atlanta Stadium back then in 1964, not sorry, 65, I think it was, mm -hmm. or 66, somewhere there. But the Atlanta Braves were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I got to sing the national anthem to open the game. Wow. And I was the first black person that had ever sung in that stadium. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that was exciting, wow. you know, for me to do that. You were the first black person to sing in the stadium? To sing in the Atlanta Stadium. Yeah, in That's Atlanta. Yeah. It's it's so strange um, to hear that because you go, I mean, black people sing at the Super Bowl all the time. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just so, like, you know, yeah. Beyonce from on and on and on and on yeah. and on, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah. to say... That there had to be somebody who was the first. Somebody had to break the barrier. And yeah. but and you yourself, you personally have experienced uh, racial profiling. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, one time, can you tell talk about the van, the incident you had? Yeah, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I'd been living in Nashville for a couple of years at that point, but um, uh, I had a had a band. Uh, I'm a musician, and uh, for those of you who don't know, sometimes we have a band that goes on the road. <laughs> anyway, uh, we had this band of guys, and uh, actually, we ended up being the backup band for a group called the Vogues. Anybody who can remember way back when, all of you are way too young to remember. But there was a group that uh, used to sing uh, top 40 hits, mm -hmm. like Till, Five O'Clock World, Turn Around, Look at Me, No, Not Much, You Are My Special Angel, all those songs. Um, and they wore tuxedos. Yeah. They were the first boy band. I know that, that song. They're doing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was one of their hits. And I was their keyboard player and backup. And we had our backup band. Okay. So, our band was in town. We weren't on a gig that weekend, and so we were doing some shopping, whatever. And I had the van, and it was this big, white, unidentifiable, not, I mean, no signs on it, bread truck, like, okay. you know. Uh, and all of our equipment was, was in it. So my, my guys were at the mall, and I came from my manager's, our booking agent's office, to pick them up at the mall. And I had just pulled in and parked and was waiting for them to come out. And the police came up and had drums, guns drawn and uh, got me out of the car, put handcuffs on me, put me in the back. And I'm going, what, what, what is going on? What are you doing? Why is, why is this going on? They wouldn't tell me anything until I got to the station. And then they told me I was, I fit the description of someone who had recently robbed a bank in the area. And I, I thought, you know, okay, this is logical. I'm going to rob a bank mm. and then I'm going to go park in a mall yeah. in a big white van mm. and wait for the police to come get mm. me. Mm. Yeah, that's logical, I, I guess, you know. But um, it was it was very disturbing. It was very trying and troubling for me. I, I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I did have one phone call. And uh, so I called the guy who was the producer for our, our band and, and the Vogue's at the time and the arranger, I should say. Uh, and he got on the phone and called a friend of his who was with the senator's office, state senator's office, and the senator called. And I was out very quickly after that with a lot of apologies and, oh, wow. Mr. Byers, we're so sorry we inconvenienced you and so forth. So I was only in there a few hours. But as I've noted before, um, I was fortunate. But I often think about how many other black men young black men experience similar kinds of things mm -hmm. and they don't have somebody they can call mm -hmm. who has connections or networks yeah. 
that will help them out. They're there alone, you know, and anything could happen. And anything the, the, the police would say about you, you had no defense mm -hmm. of it, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I had people who knew me, yeah. and uh, I was able to get out, you know, that time. <laughs> so, so as we look at this the story of the Good Samaritan, um, I think it just parallels so much of what's been happening. Mm -hmm. We see what's happened with George Floyd. And if you don't know the story of the Good Samaritan, it's in, in Luke chapter 10. But the story, uh, Jesus is asked, um, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing you should be doing mm -hmm. in your life? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. It's where we get, where we say at the core of who we are is loving God and everybody in the room, what? Loving people. Yeah, I mean, it's about loving people. And that's where we get that from. But then there was an expert in religious law who said uh, he was basically trying to... Uh, Basically looking at his own self, trying to make figure out, make sure I'm doing, uh, I'm good, right? And he says to him, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's this man who is robbed. He's beaten. He's left for dead. And in this story, the, the man is Jewish and, and two Jewish men come by. And they happen to be church-going Jewish men. One walks by completely on the other side of the road doesn't even look at the guy, just keeps on going. Whatever reason, but he just keeps on going. Then there's another guy, Levite, and he's, he, he comes over, at least looks to see what's happening with the guy, but he doesn't do anything about it. But then you have the, the Samaritan, and I talked about this on our, our core midweek, but what many people don't know is the Samaritans and the Jews really hated each other. It was a black and white issue for that day. And there's a reason why G, Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, made the Samaritan the good guy in the story because he was trying to basically do what we're doing today, this idea of caring for one another, helping one another, standing up against injustice, doing the right thing. He says the Samaritan, he said he felt compassion and he went over and he, and he helped this man. And so when I look at this story, what I see is the responses that we have when we think about what's happened specifically in our country, all of the injustice, but, but the tipping point being what happened uh, to George Floyd. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I look at that and I think that was one of the first times, man, I was, I was, I was embarrassed to be white because mm -hmm. I knew that the, the guys I play ball with and I knew their response. And I mean, I, and some of it, I'm kind of glad we were in the middle of COVID-19 because we're not able to play ball right now, but I'm frustrated right now because I can't get to them. And so we're talking on the phone and having conversations. And, but I just, man, I just think, I hope they don't think I'm like that. But then I know that they think, man, is, is every white person that that's out there they go again. Um, but what I see here in this story too, is the church's response. What is our response? And, and I think for some of us, we're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. So I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to kind of hope it goes away or somebody else kind of steps in and mm -hmm. becomes the solution. Or we can be the one who says, you know, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, I'm going to go over and take a look. Yeah. I'm going to read the stories about it. I'm going to, I'm going to learn about what happened and, and maybe even post mm -hmm. something but I'm not going to do anything about it. And I think this is the, the, the great error in the church that we've had against all injustice is many times we've just gotten it wrong. We've, we've been silent, but what I'm, 
what I love seeing right now. What I love seeing is what you and I are doing, the three of us are doing right now, and our leaders in the room are doing this right now. This is happening everywhere right now. Is what I see is the church is finally rising up and we're saying we're not just going to pass by mm-hmm. on the other side. We're not going to remain silent, but we are going to go over across the road and we are going to help those who are suffering injustice. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you guys uh, just a simple question is um, what should our response be? What does it mean to be that Samaritan and, and how, can, how can we help? How can someone like myself, what, what can we do? to fix and, and, and be a positive agent for change. I don't care whoever wants to go first on that. Ben, why don't you go first? I can go first. Um, I think before we even ask ourselves, you know, what can I do? We need to know where we are, uh, each one of us. Uh, can I talk about the like, different reactions people have yeah. on this? You know, um, just the other day, one of my coworkers asked me, you know, Ben, what do you think about the current uh, climate in America? And I was just thinking and thinking about it and looking where I am. And uh, I, you know, uh, I see, you know, at least six different reactions or responses to what's going on. Uh, there are the people that have been, uh, that had, you know, firsthand experience of, you know, being racially profiled and mm-hmm. racism. And they're uh, rightfully angered by it and they want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so they necessarily, they don't have to be from the, same race group uh, it could be whites blacks you know uh, uh, latinos or what you know asian whatever background it is just like the samaritan man you know he was not a jew but he was out there he was crossing the uh, cultural and racial line to help somebody so there's that first group that really wants to do something about it and then there's a second group that we've seen that have been using this moment to do their criminal activity and for looting and uh, all that stuff and then the third group um, that have ad- other political agenda in terms of creating anarchy and chaos and mm-hmm. to kind of tear down mm-hmm. the, you know, the government. Mm-hmm. And then there's a fourth group uh, which is saddened by it and, but hasn't really done much about it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like most of the churches, that's where the church's group is at. You know, people are kind of sad, feel bad about it, but they haven't done anything. And then there's a fifth group that's what I would call could be the white supremacist group where they would say the actions of that officer are justified that mm. that guy, he's a druggie, he's a, he's an addict, you know, he had it coming type of thing. And then there's a sixth group that are just there. They have their head stuck in the mud and they're just like they're into their own world. And they have their own thing and they hardly care. They don't care. They don't mm. care at all. So as a church, where are we? Is this, are we in that sixth group where we don't care? Let, let me just do my own thing. Let me do the, all my own church activity. Uh, are we or at the other group? At least we feel bad about it. And we're asking God, God, what can I do? I think we should move up to the as a church. And also this is an opportune time for us as a church to be a light and salt in the world. Mm, yeah. I mean, this racism stuff, how long has it been going on? How long has slavery, this, you know, the original sin of the U.S. is what? Slavery. And this mm. has been hanging in this nation for so long. And uh, you think we have dealt with that. You, you hear all these stories that mm. this riots coming up, all these demonstrations, all this stuff coming up. And then you would think that has been solved. But, you know, it's good to have legislation to combat systemic racism. It's good to have uh, all these laws that have passed. But none of this touched the core issue of the problem. And that's the human mm. heart. 
Wow. And that's the human heart. And, mm-hmm. and, and then so for that to be solved, it's the church that has the authority mm. and the equipment to, 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 to take care of that. Yeah. And, but the church cannot be quiet. Mm. We cannot just say, no, that's like a, some li- liberals and uh, some, you know, this, this the group that are just enticing all this, uh, ma- making the f- flame, you know. Uh, but uh, it's, not, it's not some other group's uh, propaganda or political thing that's going on. This is reality. People are suffering. Mm-hmm. There is definitely racism. There is racial profiling. There's so... Uh, has to start each one. I think mm-hmm. the church members, each one of us need to look at ourselves. We're not here to make one racial group feel bad. This is not a white thing, a black thing. This is really a human heart thing. So wow. we need to look at our heart and say, God, search my heart. Is there any kind of thinking that's in me? Because this problem, you know, you guys have seen it here, but back in Ethiopia, grown up, you know, I used to think my ethnic group was better than the other ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. You know, because of how I was raised, not by, by my parents, but by friends or society and everything. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a Christian home where I was taught to love everybody, everybody. But somehow there is this human thing where you think that what you got is better than everybody mm-hmm. else. You know, thinking that Ethiopian culture is better than everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Well, your food <laughs> or, is. Yeah, but... or food is better than everybody. <laughs> I've had uh, It's good. Thinking that Ethiopian women are the most beautiful. Anyways. But, you know, there, but there's this thing in us that wants to think that I am better than you mm-hmm. or something. So we really need to look at our heart and say, no, what's in me that got that, that, that yeah. needs to change? That's so good. And then we need to be able to agents of change by not condemning others, but by teaching others, mm-hmm. by by just like what we're doing here, by bringing the issue to the front, to the forefront, yep. and dealing with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I remember one person said, you know, this is like a, uh, an infection that has never been like a gangrene that has never been dealt with. You know, how, the way you deal with a, an infection, you have to expose it. It has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. It has to be given the right antibiotic. It has to be even surgically removed. It needs to whatever needs to be surgically mm-hmm. removed. The church needs to be a voice for all in, uh, against all injustice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I think uh, it starts with uh, really self-reflection and then uh, really exposing it and then br- b- b- bringing it to the table and then be a voice mm-hmm. and within the community. Uh, I think that's yeah. where it, it needs to start. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> All right, Joseph. I'm listening to Ben. I thought about something I heard uh, Ruth Bell Graham say, or she wrote in one of her books, she said, uh, if two people in any relationship agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. So I'll be gone. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Um, now, I, I, uh, I, I, I can only add uh, maybe a little bit to, to what Ben has said. Um, God is love, Mm. and we are God's kids. If we are born of the same spirit that he is, then our fundamental identity is love. Our fundamental operation is love. If everything that we do proceeds from love first, it will already have the God quality in it. And if it has the God quality in it, it's going to have the God effect wherever it goes, wherever it's sent. Now, I say that to say, if I love you, I'm not going to do anything consciously to hurt you. 
I'm going to treat you with respect. I'm going to preach you with deference. I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to try to make your life better or respond to your needs as much as I can, as much as it's within my hand to do. If we're going to have conversations now, and that's very good that we're beginning to do this, both of us have to be willing to listen to the other person speak honestly. Mm. Don't just say what you think I want to hear. Tell me what you really think. Yeah. And leave it up to me to be man enough to take it and to hear it, mm. but also be full of enough of the love of God to give you some grace. Mm -hmm. If I agree with you, fine. If I don't agree with you, I can still extend grace to yeah. you. And if we get down to that level of honesty, then we're going to build some relationship here. Mm -hmm. That's going to be real. It's not going to be based on this fluff sort of surface level. Oh, my good friend. Uh, oh, what's his name? You know, mm. I'd like to someday be, someday be able to say, I have a good friend named Brad. Mm. You know, we've gotten to know each other mm -hmm. and we love each other. Mm. You know, we work together. We work together well. We don't agree on everything, right. but where things are essential and where things are important, mm -hmm. we take a stand together yeah. and we're going to stand together because we're both Christ followers. We're both Christ's sons. Oh, so good. Yeah. I, I like to think of the, uh, I, I think of the human race when God created us this way. Uh, I know history says differently at times in a, just a horrific way. Hmm. But God created, he, for some reason, he decided I'm going to be white. And he decided you were going to be black. And he decided this person was going to be Hispanic. And this person was going to be Asian and, and whatever else, mm -hmm. you know, um, Native American. And that's who you are. And that is who God, how God created you. And I, I, one of the things I've learned through a lot of conversations is I used to say, I don't see color. <laughs> And then I learned that was not a really positive statement. But in my ignorance, I just felt like, well, I wanted, I wanted you to know I loved you. I wanted you to know that I accept you and I care about you. But it was through a conversation. This is what I love. It was through a conversation that one of my, a pastor, a black pastor, his friend, he said, hey, Brad, that's, that's not good. I, I want you to see me. I feel like when you say that, you don't see me. And I never thought about that before. And... What I think of is I think the because I think of the the human race like this great mosaic that it takes all of us, all of our different colors, all of our different ethnicity, all of our different dialects and nations and all of us. That's the beauty of the human race. And when you put a mosaic together or, or like stained glass together apart, it's broken and it doesn't look right. It's just a broken piece of glass, whether it's clear or white or black or whatever, mm -hmm. but you put it together and then the light shines through that. It is something beautiful, yeah. beautiful. But if that glass is just clear, it just shines light through it. But when it is this beautiful mosaic, it shines the light. And I think that is the beauty of how Christ put us all together to appreciate one another. But when we come together, yeah. we have to celebrate and recognize you're different. Mm -hmm. I'm different. But, and I, I really learned this going to Ethiopia. 
was how, I mean, it was a completely different culture. And, and I mean, the men there hold hands. And I was like, why is this dude holding my hand? This is weird. <laughs> this don't happen to you. And I was like, no, this is, this is how men show friendship and love and affection. And, and I was like, come on, babe, come on, show them how it's done. But we weren't supposed to do that. Now we have to hand sanitize. <laughs> But what, what I've seen in that, though, is that's how we grow, and that's how we learn, and that's how we become better people, because we can learn from one another. Mm-hmm. What I see, one thing that Jesus said, I want to say this in closing, and then we're going to, all of us, uh, do this beautiful thing called communion that unites us together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Christ. It's, it's Jesus. It's his blood that flows through your veins. His blood th- flows through your veins and my veins. It's the blood of Christ, and it's the Spirit of God. This is what I love. The Spirit of God is not a respect, not a respecter of persons. Every person, every man, woman, and child can have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. I have the Spirit of God. And together, He unites us together. Can I do something before we yeah. end our conversation here? Um, this came up as you were saying that, and I thought, you know, I thought about saying that, but I know I need to say it now. Um, I've been here so many times before in the past. Mm. When I say here, I mean, I've been in these times, there's been a crisis and everybody Mm. runs and says, what can we do to make things better? Mm. And for a little while, people talk and they get together and then we get back to our corners and we silo again and we stay there till the next crisis comes. And then we go, oh God, let's get, we got to get together. We got to talk. We got to, and then we get back. We can keep doing this <laughs> till Jesus comes, but I don't think that's what he wants us to do. You alluded to it a moment ago. When Jesus gave gifts to the church, the function of those gifts were for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. ministry until we all come into the unity of the faith Mm. and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. If the church will be this unifying force Mm. among ourselves, then the world's gonna see our love for one another. And then they're gonna know that there is a real Christ. Look how those Christians love one another. They they actually really do care mm-hmm. for one another. Yeah. I was talking to Justin just a minute ago and he and he was talking about how he and Rachel, when they first came here, they didn't have church home. But when they came to your church, this body, they found community. They found some mm-hmm. people that cared about them. Mm-hmm. And they knew this is where I'm supposed to be. Imagine if we as the church connected with other people of the same faith. I'm not talking about denominations. <laughs> I'm talking about we serve the same Lord. Mm-hmm. We got the same daddy. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. We ought to be able to talk to one another. We mm-hmm. ought to be able to share a meal together. We ought to be doing those kind of things on a regular basis. Yeah. Not waiting for the next tragedy to happen, mm-hmm. you know, before we do it. Wow. A friend asked a question, well, I'm concerned that we're going to forget this time and fall back to the same things again. Mm-hmm. And to that I say, the way we don't forget is that we get in community mm-hmm. and we build real friendships. Yeah. And we won't forget. Yeah. And we won't have to go through this again. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm done with it. Yeah. Can I add to something that Joseph yeah. said? I mean, I really like what he's saying about love 
Um, but in order to show love, uh, boundaries and walls have to come down first. To get rid of what uh, Dr. Luther King said when he said the most uh, segregated hour now in, in the yeah. U.S. Yeah. is yeah. The Sunday morning. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's unfortunate. That's that's the reality. Mm -hmm. But how, how about you know black churches going to white churches and mingling and mm -hmm. uh, getting each other, you know, having mm -hmm. that experience. Mm -hmm. So, but all that though starts with, with, with first I have to accept myself. Yeah, I have to accept myself and love myself, and then I can go on and love my neighbor. Yeah. And uh, so that, those boundaries need to come down. Those mental boundaries mm -hmm. need to come down. And, uh, you know, white believers, they should not have this guilt mentality. Uh, like you said, you know, you felt embarrassed for being white. And I understand that. But at the same time, you shouldn't because it's somebody's one person's action should not re you know, mm -hmm. represent the whole race. Um, wow. So it's really a personal issue. And at the same together, though, we can be the church could be a light and yeah. we could also deal with the systemic issue. I think, uh, and we're going to uh, have communion together. So, um, Laura, you, who's going to help me with the communion? Uh, so as we get our communion together, and as you, wherever you're watching today, some people are, we're, we start our neighborhood gatherings, so people are watching all over the place, and whether you're by yourself with your family or with a group of people, you can get your stuff together uh, for communion as well. But I, I want us just to uh, think in terms of, yeah, thank you. Um, so there has been a lot that has happened in the past and there will be injustice, prejudice, racism that will continue until Jesus comes. Yeah. But what we are responsible for, and, and I have our leaders here because I, I think it starts with us as leaders First and foremost, it starts with us in this room. I'm responsible for my generation. Mm -hmm. And when I say, you know, this, this generation, we talk about this generation and what this generation, that means young people, college students, um, people in, in the millennials, Generation X, senior citizens, all of us, this is our generation. And so now exactly. I have to take responsibility. And so what we're going to do together is this is this is what unites us together this is what brings us together and we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world that if healing is going to come Jesus is going to bring it and he's going to bring it through us so we take when we take communion together we're taking in Christ and then we take Christ out into the world so I'm when I take communion and you take communion at home here's what I want you to remember in this moment this is a very very holy thing that we are about to do because what yeah. you're saying is i want to be like christ christ yeah. i want to yeah. be jesus yeah, yeah. And, and i want to do what jesus did even if people hate me for it mm -hmm. even if people put me on a cross <laughs> for it mm -hmm. But as we walk the road that Jesus walked, what we remember though is we step out and we stand up against injustice. We stand mm -hmm. up for the oppressed. As we stand up for people who don't have the hope and the healing and the peace and the purpose of Jesus, as we stand up for them, what we have the hope of is the resurrection. That when we are Jesus, there is, I believe there is a hope of a resurrection for oh, our yeah. nation and we are the answer to that through yeah. Jesus. So yeah. we're gonna take the, the, the cup and, and the bread together. The cup, it represents, if you're new, to church, the cup, it represents the blood of Jesus. And this is what unites us. And this is what forgives us. This is where forgiveness comes. And what I want you to do before we receive the 
elements today. And I want you to think about, is there anything in me, God? Is there anything in me that you want out of me? Is there anything that you're not pleased with? Is there a sin in me? Is there a prejudice in me? Is there hatred in me? Is there anger in me? God, would you root that out? And we believe through the blood of Christ that he does. And the bread is the hope. It's It's the body of Christ. He left heaven, came to this earth, walked among us, died and was resurrected on the third day. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to receive together. Father, in this moment, we just stop to give you honor. And I thank you for my brothers that are joining me today. And it's, uh, this is just fun. God, this is really a beautiful moment for us to receive this together as an expression of our faith and our love for one another, but ultimately our love and our faith that we are placing in you. So today, if there's anything, God, that you're not pleased with, would you root it out? Would you, would you forgive us for any, anything, God, within us that is ugly or oppressive or an injustice or, or not holy? Would you root it out of us and would you make us more like Jesus? In his mm-hmm. name we pray. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All right, Amen. Let's, let's receive. Thank you, man, for joining me. Man, this has just been a beautiful discussion. Uh, and I want us to, to continue this. And um, we're going to say a, a prayer together. It's a prayer that we say all the time. Uh, and you guys don't have it. I bet you don't have it memorized, do you? Look at all our leaders right now. Wait, we ain't got this memorized. We say it, we say a prayer every Sunday. And, um, and, I, and they always give me a hard time because they're like, how long are we going to keep saying this? I'm going to say, we'll keep saying this until you got it, until you live it out. <laughs> but this is really our sending prayer, and this is really uh, what we believe together. And, Lord, give me a copy of that, too, because I want to. I want these guys to have it as well, because um, I know they're going to want to want to say it with me, okay? So I'll give you guys this, and you guys can say, let's all say this together, okay? God, fill me with love and give me boldness to share the hope, healing, peace, and purpose that I found in Jesus. Lead me to the hurting, the hopeless, the lonely, and the discouraged. This week, I declare that I am available and willing to be used for your glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you. Uh, so in at your home or in your uh, groups, when you're with people or wherever you are right now, you're going to see some questions come up. I want to encourage you right now to have a discussion together and let's go out, walk in unity and show the world who Jesus is. God bless you. Have a great week.